Well, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon uh, today, or for this sermon all week, um, one word kept coming to mind, and that word um, was hustle. I can't tell you how many, word, how many times I've heard that word, hustle, right? Like, go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. From my t-ball uh, coach from when I was a little kid, uh, where I stepped onto the baseball diamond for the first time to learn how to spit. That's all you learn in t-ball, right? <laughs> You learn how to spit real good and draw circles in the infield. That's what you do. From, from that coach to uh, an Olympics-level strength coach in, in college at my university who was all business, who would say hustle about 100 times in an hour, uh, he was all business. He was, he was one that if you came into the, into the weight room and your shoe was untied, or if you had gum in your mouth, which was my problem, if you had gum in your mouth, or if you just weren't ready to lift, go home. We'll see you later. And so everybody knew that they had, to, they had to hustle. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Go, go, go. Well, back in the day when I was uh, somewhat athletic, those days are long gone, uh, ask your teens about uh, kickball slip and slides, right? Uh, those days are, are, are in the past. I was never um, the most athletic I was never the fastest. I was never the smartest. I was uh, most of the time. I was never the biggest um, in, in my position. But I had one thing that a lot of my my uh, teammates didn't have to the level that I had. I had the most hustle. Right. That's what I was known for. I was known for the hustle that I had. I was an offensive lineman, and so my job was basically to, to hit somebody every single play and keep them from tackling whoever on my side had the ball. Right? So that was my goal in life. That was my mission in life, that, that you weren't going to make it over there. I played left tackle, and so that was important because the, the quarterback, that's his blind side, and so a lot, a lot relied on that. And so I had to have that, that vision or that, that, that confidence to say that no matter what, I was going to get the job done. I had the hustle. I had the aggression. I had, the, I had, the, I had what was needed to, to get the job done. I was that, that aggravating gnat that was in your face trying to knock your helmet off every single play of the game. It was the hustle. And I loved the hustle. Like, I love to go hard. I, I don't say there's nothing better than, than beating an opponent on pure hustle. Because you know that it wasn't given to you. You know it wasn't just because you were bigger and you were stronger and you were faster or you were more talented. It was just because you had so much hustle, you had so much go that you just wore them down until they quit, right? Like you like took it. I'm sorry, I'm letting a little bit too much show here. Like you, 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 you took it. There's nothing better than that. I, there's nothing better than, than, than taking it uh, based on pure hustle. I liked it. It was fun. And, and it still is fun in some areas of my life. But it sometimes brings about problems. So I want you to think about the hustle as we go into the Word today and are reminded uh, of a person that's got some hustle in, in some good ways, but also in some very, very negative ways. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32, um, but it's going to be a little bit down the road as we talk about the story 
Um, as we're in the Old Testament, Pastor Stephanie has started us off um, in this series, and, and we are here uh, in this story, the story of God's love, the story of God's faithfulness to a family and to a man uh, named Abraham. Remember God's beautiful uh, promise to this old couple, Abraham and Sarah, that God will make their family into a great nation, that they will be a, a blessed people so they might be a blessing in the world. The story continues in their son Isaac, and, and Pastor Stephanie preached on that whole, uh, it was like 61 verses to get Isaac a wife. It takes a long time, but it finally happens. But the, the promise, the story continues. And, and Isaac gets married, and then they have twins, which we were introduced to um, last week, Jacob and Esau in the red stew scene. I remember the, the, the red stew scene where, where, where Esau comes in from the field, and he's hangry. He's got some hunger pain, and Jacob's cooking some red stew, and Esau um, does what we are, are so uh, prone to do in life. Esau trades his birthright, something that's important, something that's ultimate, for something that's immediate, for some meatless red stew, right? He trades the, the ultimate, the important things in life for the immediate things in life, something that we do very, very often. We were reminded of that trade again and again and again. The story of Jacob continues. Jacob, the hustler, as we'll call him today, he does what it takes to get the blessing from his father. His dad is, uh, is in the bed. He's not doing well. He can't see. He's a blind guy. He wants a, he wants a meal, and he does what it takes to get the blessing. With help from his mom, uh, they cook this meal. They bring it to dad. He, he does what it takes. He even takes goat skins, and he puts it on his arms and, and, and his neck, and he takes Esau's clothes so he smells like his brother. Remember, his older brother's the one that is to get the blessing from the father and so he he tricks his way he cons his way to get this blessing uh, from his father in, in place of his brother he does what it takes to to get there with help from mom and he's there and he receives the blessing it says that Esau comes back and he finds out what happens and he bursts out with a loud and bitter cry he's been bamboozled that's the first time I've used bamboozled in a sermon. I, I even bolded it so I'd remember to say it, right? He's been bamboozled, right? He's been tricked. He's been conned. He's, he's lost out on what was his. It's first for the birthright. And all that that meant, all the financial gains and all the, the influence and all the power, and now he's been conned out of his blessing. He's been conned out of his birthright with the stew, and now he's been conned out of his blessing with his, his sneaky brother. He gets the goat skins, and, and he acts like him. And Esau is so angry that he wants to kill his brother Jacob. He's so angry that he just wants to, to, to end his brother's life, but he's a good boy still. He said, I'll do that after dad dies, right? I won't do that while dad is here. Only after dad passes, I will make this happen. So Jacob's got to go. He's got to run. You usually don't wait around for somebody to kill you, right? You, you, you get out of town. He flees. His mom helps him, and, and he goes to his Uncle Laban's house, and he's there, and, he, and he's welcomed in, and he's put to work. And for the next 20 years, he's on the run. 
For the next 20 years, he's hustling and he's working. He finds something that he wants. In this case, uh, with his uncle, it's a wife. He finds something that he wants and he works to get it. Seven years to work for, for his wife. He's conned. It's not the right one. And so he wants the other the other sister. And so he works another seven years. He's one that, that, that hustles to get what he wants. He, he, he sees something that he wants. He sees something that he needs. And he does the work to get it. He's working. He's striving. He's cheating. He's deceiving. He does whatever it takes. This is, this is who he is. It doesn't matter if his brother's in the way or his dying and blind father's in the way or his uncle who even gives him a place to, to be and stay is in the way. It just doesn't matter. He wants what he wants and he's going to get it. He's got a, 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 an incredible hustle, a negative way, of course, but it's still a hustle. He even, he even hustles his uncles with animal breeding techniques. Some of you might be interested in that. End of chapter 30, right? He, he does whatever it takes to, to get. He's focused on his gain, on getting what he wants, and doing whatever it takes. And then Jacob comes to a moment. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 3, an incredible moment uh, in Jacob's life. We have it for you on the screen here today. It's a simple verse. It says this. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Can you imagine with me for a second the heart drop? I call that the heart drop. In our house, we call it kind of like itchy heart. Right Where you, you know that you should do something, you know that God's calling you to do something, but that's the last thing that you ever wanted to do. Have you ever experienced that? That feeling, that heart drop feeling? I really wasn't into the, this story very much until I got to that point. Where, 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 where I recognize that in myself, that, that I'd rather go to the dentist than do whatever this is that, that you've called me to do. That, that moment where we're confronted by something that God wants us to do, and, and we know that we can't do it on our own. We know that it's, that it's above ourselves, it's beyond ourselves. We know we don't have the, the passion or the skill, or we don't have the, the, the abilities or whatever, you name it. You've got your excuses, I've got mine. We know that we don't have this or that, whatever, but God has called us to it. And it's a, it's a place, it's a moment where we are to step out in faith and be obedient, even though we don't know what will happen. This is an incredible moment in, in Jacob's life. He has this heart drop feeling of God calling him. He's been gone for 20 years, 20 years, and he's made it. Not only has he just made it, but he has, he has thrived. He is, he is wealthy. He, he has got stuff under control to, to, the, to the outsiders. He's got, he's got property, and he's got animals, and he's got everything that he could ever need. He, he has made it in this running. 20 years, and he's made it. And then God calls him home, back to the place where his brother is. And even though it's been 20 years, he still remembers Esau's rage, that, that, that shriek, that outburst when he found out he was tricked. And, and he's telling himself 20 years just isn't enough, is it? In fact, time is never enough in this situation. 
I think it's important here as we follow Jacob's journey, it's important to recognize because we'll, we'll, we'll give Jacob a, a bad rap a lot of the time because he's a hustler. It's important to recognize that Jacob is obedient, right? Jacob is obedient. Yeah, he's in trouble with his, with his uncle, but he still steps out. He's obedient and yet terrified at the same time. He cries out to God to be saved from his brother because he knows that he is as good as dead. And yet he still steps out. But Jacob, being the hustler, being the schemer, being the one that's strategic and thinks ahead and and gets things done, he starts to develop the plan. That he's going to have a plan and he's going uh, to break his people up in different groups and send them ahead in waves. That, that they will go and they will meet Esau and this will butter him up, right? That they will go and his family will, will, will meet him. And you imagine the, the, the tension of that. Yeah, honey. Uh, yeah, he, he really wants to kill me, but just go and meet him and, and tell him that it's all right. Give him, some, give him some gifts while you're at it and, and get him ready so, so that you can butter him up before, before I get there. He sends these waves of people. And in the, in the end of this, it says that he's giving gifts. And not just little gifts. He's, like giving, he's giving big gifts, like big, like, like blow-your-mind gifts, like 200 female goat gifts. Like who wouldn't want 200 female goats? This is like the Ferrari of the time. This is a, this is a big deal and, and camels and, and, and all these different things. He wants to butter his brother up so he just doesn't kill him. That maybe when I show up after all these, he'll be soft. Maybe when I show up after all these, I might have paid for my sins. Maybe if I show up and, and I've done this, that it'll go just a little bit differently and I won't be dead. So Jacob sends out messengers and they go ahead and, and they go and they, they find Esau and they come back and the messengers come back and they, and they tell Jacob, that they say, yeah, Esau, he's coming for you. He knows that you're on the way. But the bad news is that 400 of his men are coming with him, <laughs> right? The bad news is, is that 400 of his men are coming with him, and I don't think it's a good situation. So to put it uh, simply, uh, Jacob is in a pretty bad place. He's in, a, he's in an incredibly deep valley uh, of life. He knows that he is as good as dead. So as we come to our passage today in Genesis chapter 32, this is where we are. Jacob sends his family uh, and all of his stuff across the river, and he is in a place uh, uh, where he is all alone. And he's all alone in the tension and the turmoil and the fear and the anxiety of what life is about to bring. He's got nothing. There's no more running There's no more ways to get out of the inevitable. His imagination is running wild with all the possibility. There's no more tricks up his sleeve. There's no more opportunity to hustle his way out of this one. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22, it says this. 
That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord this morning, thanks be to God. What a strange, like awesome uh, text that we have this morning, a challenging one. If we dismissed you for lunch uh, today, you would have no clue what was going on, right? Like, why do, we, why do we talk about this? Why are we here in this part? As you know, Pastor Stephanie is a lot smarter, and so she loves to preach from the Old Testament. Me, not so much, right? Because I get lost in the story. Like, I'm lost in the details of this story. I've spent a lot of time being lost in this story this week. A lot of time asking a lot of different questions. And there's a lot of different things that we can come to to know and think about when we come to this text. And I will warn you, there's a lot of horrible theology out there concerning this. A lot of things that just make me cringe inside. A lot of things to, that, that, that are, are just not very fun to read. So as we come to this passage today, as we interpret this story, know that we can't spend 20 hours on it this morning. And so let's just look at a couple different pieces. I was lost in the story at the point where, where, where Jacob, it doesn't like it reflect this in the, in the language, but just this idea that Jacob is into this fight, right? Like he's not going to let it go. Like he's like in it. He, he, is, he is enthralled in it. He, he, he is crazy in it. He wrestles. He wrestles with the, the man that we later learn I, is, is God all night. Imagine the sweat and the wrenching and the, and the pain and the grunts and the, the, the weirdness that, that is happening here. The, 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 the wrestler even says, you know, you know let me go. Let, let's, let, let's move on. Let, let's continue with our evening. And Jacob does not let go. Like, he will not let go. It even says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And now I think this, this moment is pretty incredible. This is the moment where Jacob realizes that, that this is a good place to be. You have to be in that mindset. If you're going to stand there and wrestle all night long, there has to be something about this that, that it's important enough to get this blessing or to, to, to continue with this. Think about it. If we got in a fight out in the desert, I probably got two good minutes in me, right? And then I'm done. 
I've got, I've got two good minutes, and then we're going to move on with our lives if, if, we're, if we're, we're good, and we'll just move on. We'll just go on with our life, and, and that'll, be, that'll be it. But not here. Jacob is in the zone. Like, he's, he's in the place. He will not let go. He wrestles all night long. Part of me, and many others say this as well, that, that this is a time where he wrestles and he, he comes to this moment where he realizes that this is a good place to be. That this is something that he wants and he needs. He is clinging like literally like a koala bear. He is, he is wrapped around. He will not let go. Some think of it as a, as a moment where this is, this is Jacob's heart's desire. He's passionate. He's hooked. He's there. This is what he wants. This is where he wants to be. It's a fight, but this is something that, that he needs in life. This is not some normal wrestling partner, we are told. That this is, this is a God wrestling partner, and this is what Jacob wants. This is a true desire. This is what he's longing for. It's as if Jacob is declaring to himself and to his partner and to the world, sleep, who needs sleep? Let's go. Or food, who needs food? Let's continue. Or rest, who needs rest? I need nothing else. I will not let go. This is maybe what the, the hustle was for his entire life. This is maybe what he was searching for. This is maybe what the misguided desires were, were looking for all along. When I was in seminary, some of the biggest uh, books that I, that I had to read in a couple of classes were uh, written by Augustine. Or if you're really smart, you say Augustine, but I'm not that smart, so I say Augustine. But I, Augustine, and, and I remember I was reading this I, like catechism book, and it was like I, I could use it to like lift up my car. It was that big. <laughs> and, and, and I'm in the middle of this, and, and I'm reading all these things, and, and you come to, to, to know the experience of, of Augustine. That all the desires and the misguided desires that our life lived and written about in great detail. From drinking to eating, from the fascination and obsession with, with sex and with pride and ambition. And, and Augustine comes to this place where he, where he cries out, and it's maybe something that you've heard before. He says, my heart is restless until I find rest in you. My heart is restless until I find rest in you. Jacob will not let go. So in response to the wrestler, he had, the, the wrestler asked Jacob this crucial question. In response to, to this man that, that, that is clinging on to him, he asked this question, one that I've asked myself many times this week. What is your name? What is your name? Now, assuming that this is God, we, we would assume also that, that God knows the name of Jacob. But remember back in the day, your name actually meant something. Like it was a descriptor of who you were. It was, it was, a, it was a part of you. It, it, it labeled you in some ways. It was what you did. It was what you, you were about. 
It's as if God is asking, like, what is at the core of you? Jacob's found his his place where he will not let go, and God asks him, what is it in your life? Who are you? I think for Jacob, one of the the scariest things, scarier than meeting Esau with 400 men that wanted him dead, was to say his name out loud. My name is Jacob. I am the heel grabber. I am the hustler. I'm the one who's hustled my father and my own brother and even my uncle. I will get what I want. So right there, face-to-face in this moment uh, with God, he is also brought face-to-face with himself. I'm the hustler, I'm the crook, I'm the schemer, I'm the deceiver, and it's not just a name, it's a confession. It's said out loud. And this is what I've been lost in all week. This This is where I get to share with you and make you squirm in your seat part, right? part of the the squirming that's happened in the days this week. What about you? What is your name? Not really your name that mama gave you, but what's that deep inner restlessness that comes up again and again and again? This isn't some lightweight stuff. This is deep core stuff. Maybe you can say this morning that you're like Jacob. Like I'm I'm the hustler. I'll do whatever it takes to be a person of significance. I'll do whatever it takes to make it happen and to get what I want. Or maybe you're a seeker of acceptance. I'll do what it takes to be accepted. Or, or your desire is pleasure and it rules your life. Or it's pride that you'll never be wrong. Or it's comfort that you seek day in and day out. What is your we talk about these intersections and these, interse- the, these interactions that we have with God. The ways that God brings us to himself and confronts us with his love for us. And we talk about that often. We're here at, at this place where Jacob is confronted and intersects with God. And we're reminded that this intersection is not always easy. It's not always puppies and rainbows. But it's a time where we are confronted by our limits. It's a time that we are confronted by our pride and we're confronted by our core beliefs that, 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 that are keeping us in cycles. It's a time where we recognize our sin and our limitations our misguided desires. And those aren't always fun times or easy ones. So in our passage today, this exposure of Jacob's souls ends in this incredible gift of grace. This time where he is now face-to-face with God and face-to-face with his limits, we know in this story that he is a broken man, one that walks with a limp. There's no more running away that he is humbled. 
that it's not his strength anymore because it's just not there. And so he's limping towards his brother now. He's moving on and he's going to the place where where God has called him to. But the the confidence and, and the pride and the desire just to hustle his way out of it is no longer there because God confronted him with his hustle. And we get to this incredible restoration scene. Where, where, where Jacob is limping towards Esau and he sees these 400 men and thinking and knowing that this is the end of the world as he knows it, that he's about to die. And we have this scene that is, that is strangely like the prodigal son scene. Well, while Jacob is limping towards Esau, while he's far off, Jacob runs, or Esau runs to meet Jacob. Says that he that he hangs on his neck. He even he even kisses him. He's excited that that Jacob is home. Out of anything in the story, as we come to this point, we recognize that Jacob did not get what he deserved by a long shot. Jacob did not get the greeting that he was expecting from the four hundred men and his brother. Jacob gets grace. Now, this is your story, and this is my story. This is incredibly relevant today. The grace of God many times begins here in a place of desperation, a place of the realization that I can't do it on my own, that I can't save myself, that Jesus is Lord, and I am not. We are reminded that we can't hustle for God's grace. We can't earn that. It is given. As we come to this time of our service, we we ask the band uh, to come, and we have the opportunity uh, to come to the Lord's table today, to participate uh, in, in communion together as God's people. This is the time where we come forward and we receive the bread and we, we dip it in the juice and we are called to remember the body of Christ broken for us and his, his blood shed for us. Traditionally, we call this the Eucharist, our word meaning thanksgiving. We are people that come and break bread and we are thankful. We come with, with thanksgiving in our hearts the, of God's grace. And the reminder that we did not get what we deserved. God's grace is more than enough. That while we were still far off, God embraced us. Let's pray as we come to the table this morning. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to be thankful to come to your table, to be reminded of your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. And we thank you that we don't have to hustle to receive. May we simply receive this morning. May we receive your love and your forgiveness. May we receive your grace and your wholeness. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite parts of being a pastor is serving communion because I love the earthiness of it.
I love to watch you fumble and stumble uh, and drop your bread in the juice. Uh, Howard back here just took the whole cup. He was the last one. It's okay. And he drank it all. A reminder that there's more than enough grace. There's more than enough of God's grace for us. So thank you, Howard. Let's pray this morning, church. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to hustle. Thank you for your love and for the ways in which you intersect with us and show us that love and show us the path that you desire for us. But we also thank you for the ways in which you show us where we are and you show us our limitations and you show us our sin not to shame us, not to grind us in the ground, um, but for an opportunity for life change, an opportunity to give you yet one more thing that we struggle with, yet one more core thing in our life that has been guiding us for a long time. So we take this opportunity this morning to give you those things. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and that you'd continue to lead us down your paths that are good and right and that lead to you and lead to restoration. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand to receive the benediction this morning. Extend your hands to receive this benediction, this blessing. God bless you and keep you, beloved church. May you go from this place recognizing that you don't need to hustle for God's grace, that there is more than enough. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.